What I'd like to do this morning is take a few minutes without a PowerPoint and uh, discuss the holiday of Shavuot. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. There are what are called three traveling holidays, okay, where we're supposed to travel and go up to Jerusalem and celebrate. Uh, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, all right? Um, and so, uh, you know, we, everybody, you know, most Jewish people, if they at all are connected with their Jewish identity, do something for Passover, uh, maybe they go to Max and Benny's and they do Passover at Max and Benny's, okay? Uh, but they do something for Passover. Um, Sukkot, Sukkot's interesting because Sukkot's very, uh, you know, it's at, right after the high holidays. And yes, it's the least attended of the high holiday services. But there's a lot of physicality to it because at Sukkot, there's sukkahs and you got the lulav and the etrog. And, and so I think a lot of people, they kind of, Think about Sukkot. It's a little more, it has a little more attention in the Jewish community, whether people are secular or religious. All right? Shavuot. Shavuot is the, uh, almost a forgotten holiday in the Jewish community uh, outside of, of just the really religious or really observant. Most people don't think about it. And that the holiday of Shavuot is on par with the other two. It's extremely important. All three are harvest holidays. All three relate to, to uh, the harvest and giving back as a part of the holiday celebration, uh, a portion of what one makes from their agriculture as a, as a, as a gift for, the, for God and for the temple. Uh, it's a celebratory holiday. These are three celebration-oriented holidays. You don't have to wait for the Cubs to win again. You can celebrate three times a year at the holidays, including Shavuot, all right? And yet there's reflection, a certain amount of reflection at the holidays. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to take a look at these holidays. Uh, we're going to, uh, I've, I've bought a bunch of notes on the back of the sheet. So who does not have a copy of the announcement sheet? Everybody has a copy? Good. Take a look on the back and use that as a guide. All right. Uh, because I want to make sure you especially understand some interesting things in regards to dates. Okay. So uh, one other thing I want to say, it's, uh, it was fascinating to me in Europe. Uh, again, I, we attended services in, uh, in Warsaw, uh, Munich, and Berlin on Shabbat, and uh, tried to do what we could to connect with Jewish people, of just not very many of them. We were able to do it uh, a little bit. Uh, but what was fascinating to me in attending these synagogues is the commitment of the individuals in those synagogues to identify as Jewish, at least within their congregational facilities, and to especially redeem Jewish life within these areas. It was fascinating. Uh, one of the things I noticed right away, when I went to Warsaw, the two rabbis are Americans. Uh, one guy from Kansas, uh, Topeka, Kansas, who was Orthodox and studied here in Skokie at the... Uh, at the theological seminary, Hebrew theological. And uh, so we had a great old time talking, uh, he and I, for a little bit. And then uh, when we had services, he called me up for an aliyah. So I get the fourth aliyah, I'm up, and, uh, and I, I'm having a hard time kind of following along the service, though, because their Hebrew pronunciation is Ashkenazi. I mean, uh, so those of you who know old school Hebrew, 
all right? Like the Litvaks, you know, where their tubs are S's, you know? It's very hard to follow. It's not modern Israeli. And yet they purposefully are speaking old classic Ashkenazi. And uh, it was particularly difficult on, on that Warsaw because not only was I called up for the fourth Aliyah, the rabbi then asked me to go and take his position and spot the reader in the Hebrew while he's leaning. And so <laughs> I helped, but it was very difficult because I could, even if I'm reading the Hebrew, I had a hard time following him because of the way he spoke. But I was amazed at their commitment to, re- to actually understanding and developing and growing their own active participation in the traditions, the old European Jewish traditions that existed before the, uh, the Shoah. When we got to Berlin, the same thing happened. I went in, it was, uh, you know, not a very large group. Uh, there might have been 20 people max, okay, uh, including just one teenager, a young guy, 18-year-old, uh, who I had a chance to talk to a little bit. But there again, the, the guy who was leaning uh, was clearly uh, chanting out Ashkenazi. And so again, I, I talked to uh, uh, this Israeli guy who was there, an Israeli guy who had come, they came to marry a girl who was in Germany, and he stayed. And he said that, he said it quite simply to me, he said, our commitment here is to, is to, is to maintain Jewish community and to, uh, to learn the old traditions and, and to maintain that here. And again, I, you know, I, you know, yes, you talk to them. That's, that's, that's an amazing challenge that they have chosen to take upon themselves. They have a zeal for that. Again, as Paul would say, they lack the knowledge of Yeshua. What they really lack is the knowledge of salvation, all right, that brings hope and eternal life. But they have this amazing zeal for God in terms of their Jewish practice, which often for us as Jews who believe in Yeshua, we don't appreciate. You know, it's fascinating, though, the holiday of Shavuot, as it's developed in Jewish thought, is a holiday that really should challenge us in regards to our appreciation of the calling that God has for our lives as Jews. And so you'll see as we go through this that we're going to talk about Shavuot's scriptural institution, its importance for modern Jewish observance, and then finally its importance for all believers in Yeshua. And as we go through this, I hope that you will consider for a moment exactly what your commitment is to your Jewish identity. Whether you're Tony down here at the, at the, at the lower end of the scale, or, or uh, we'll pick on Boris there, who's, or, or Wanda, all right, some of our older members, you know. Uh, because the bottom line is, is Jewish identity is something that, that God has bestowed upon us because of birth for a reason. It's not just some accident. You're born who you are in anticipation and in because of God's specific will for your life. At least that's how I understand it from the scriptures. So let's take a look at the text. I want us to begin in uh, uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 is kind of like the base text when it comes to the holidays. Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to be in verses uh, 15 through 22. This is page uh, 121, page 121 in the congregational Tanakh. All right, so it says, Then you are to count from the, morrow, from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that you brought the Omer of the wave offering, seven complete Shabbatot, until the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, you are to count 50 days, and then present a new grain offering to Adonai. 
You are to bring out of your houses two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of ephah of fine flour. They are to be baked with chametz as first fruits to Adonai. You are to present, along with the bread, seven one-year-old lambs without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They will become a burnt offering to Adonai with their meal offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to Adonai. Also, you are to offer one male goat for a sin offering and a pair of year-old male lambs for a sacrifice of fellowship offerings. The Kohen is to wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before Adonai with the two lambs. They shall be holy to Adonai for the Kohen. You are to make a proclamation on the same day that there is to be a holy convocation, a mikra kodesh, and you shall do no regular work. This is a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So here we have this basic understanding of this holiday of Shavuot. Now, what are some of the key elements to it? You have Sheva uh, Shabbatot. So you have seven Shabbats, seven we're going to talk about 49 days. And then uh, the, the next day, the 50th, is this holiday of Shavuot. It's an agricultural holiday. All right? All, the way it's instituted, it's all related to the ground and the offerings. And then you have, interestingly enough, two high-quality loaves of bread made with yeast, which is in contrast to what? Where you are to have no yeast. And you'll notice it's waved, not put on the altar. No yeast or honey, no no leaven or honey ever to be offered on the altar, but they are waved over the altar and then uh, given to the priests, okay? And then finally, uh, uh, one other thing I want to mention is that there's been a lot of argument long time ago, a lot of argument about when do you start counting? When do you start counting? I know even within our Messianic community at large, there's some disagreement. This is my take on it, all right? Is that we live within a community. The Jewish community and the first century had a difference of opinion. The Zadokim, they felt that you start the count after the Shabbat. So if Passover starts on a Tuesday, then you start counting on the Sunday, all right? That's what the Zadokim, that's what the Sadducees believed. The Parushim, their tradition was to start the day after the Yom Tov. So Pesach is the Yom Tov, it's on a Tuesday, so you start counting on the, on the Wednesday. Now this is my, again, my, my, my belief and decision on this is that Yeshua never agreed with the Zadokim on anything. He considered them to be uh, reprobates, you know, basically. Never talked to them, never really interacted with them at all. all right? And uh, the Parashim, the Pharisees, get a bad rap within the New Testament. That's true generally, and much of it is to be, uh, is, much of it is, is earned, you know, in the way that things are discussed. But as a general rule, the Parashim maintained, I think, uh, the teachings of Ezra the scribe. That's their genesis. The beginning is from Ezra the scribe, which if you're going to Pirkei Avot and study with me tonight, we'll read about it, okay? So my belief is that we should start the count as the, the traditions developed within the Jewish community from the time of Ezra through the Parashim starting on the day after the holiday of Passover, all right? Which is how we celebrate it as a community. That allows us to also celebrate it along with the whole rest of the Jewish community whether in America or in Israel. So uh, one other reading I want to make in terms of the scriptural institution is in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Again, this is page 196. Page 196. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, 
it speaks of the holiday and it provides, I think, this interesting liturgical aspect, which uh, some people I know are just don't, not used to liturgy. But you have to understand, up until, I don't know, 150 years ago with Finney, I think, people did liturgy. That's, that's how they worship, okay? And here we see in, in Deuteronomy 26, verse 1, it says, Now when you enter the land that Adonai your God has given you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, you are to take some of the first of all the produce of the soil, which you gather from your land that Adonai your God has given you, put it in a basket and go to the place Adonai your God chooses to make his name dwell, which is a reference to Jerusalem. You are to go to the Cohen in charge in those days and say to him, I declare today to Adonai your God that I have entered into the land Adonai swore to our fathers to give us. And then the Cohen is to take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of Adonai your God. Then you are to respond before Adonai your God and say, My father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down to Egypt and lived there as an outsider few in number. But there he became a great nation, mighty and numerous. The Egyptians treated us badly, afflicted us, and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried out to Adonai, God of our fathers, and Adonai listened to our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Then Adonai brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now look, I have brought the first of the first fruits, the first of the fruits of the soil that you have given to me, Adonai. Then you are to set it down before the Lord your God and worship before your God. Isn't that amazing? If we were living in temple days, although the holiday of Shavuot seemingly was never celebrated during the first temple period, there's not a single reference to it ever being celebrated, period. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? All right. So I'm sure it was, depending on the, the obedience of the king, but it's not mentioned. But if it were, people would be going to the temple with their, with, their, with their produce and they would be reciting these words. When do we recite these words today? Passover. The first part of my father was a wandering Aramean as part of the, the, the Haggadah. All right? So it was probably put into the Haggadah because after, because the Haggadah really wasn't formed until after the second, uh, second temple was destroyed to remind us of this agricultural aspect, this liturgy, ancient liturgy right here in the text. So if you kind of cringe with liturgy, God likes liturgy. He gives it to us to remind us of specific things. Okay, now, Shavuot's importance for modern Jewish observance. I, I, I want to talk to you about this timeline. Exodus 19, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> I think it's, it's very interesting, this timeline. Exodus chapter 19. Because if you've ever wondered, when did the people go where? This will tell you all about it. Exodus 19, verses 1 and 2. This is page 73 in the Congregational Tanakh. It says, In the third month, after the Bnei Yisrael had gone out of the land of Egypt, that same day they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai, and set up camp in the wilderness. Israel camped there right in front of the mountain. So they came into the, the uh, proximity, uh, proximity of Mount Sinai in the third month. Now, Shavuot, as we talked about, is all about an agricultural holiday. It's the people giving back from the produce of the land. Here we see that the people come out of Passover. Passover, that slaughtering of the lamb and the blood on the doorpost took place when? 
Nissan what? Huh? 14. Someone said 14? Yeah, Nissan 14. All right? The Seder, that dinner was, the sun went down, it's the 15th of Nissan. All right? So, the people leave Egypt when? 16th. Yeah, 16th. All right, now that's a little bit of a speculation maybe, but it's like the Egyptians say, get out. And the people are dressed, ready to go at the Seder on that night, on the 15th. And so the sense we have is that the people get their butts up and go on the 16th of Nisan. Now we know that on the 15th of Iyar, they entered the wilderness of Zin, Exodus 16, verse 1. Exodus 16, verse 1, the, first, uh, the, the, uh, the 15th of Iyar. All right, they are there. And, uh, and then uh, a few days after that, they go off and get into, as it says uh, here in, in, uh, in Exodus 19, they come into the wilderness uh, right at the base of Mount Sinai. All right, so is this the, the first of Sivan, the second of Sivan? We don't know. But it's definitely the month of Sivan. All right, that, that would make sense. That's why I think the reference is there. What occurred over time is that the Jewish community associated the holiday of Shavuot with the giving of the Torah because of the calendar. All right? And so when this came about, it's really hard to know, but it's pretty, pretty clear to me that by the time you get to the Second Temple period, this is an established association. All right? Partly because the people, more people are living in the cities, less in, in the country. All right? More people are quote-unquote, middle class. There are carpenters and stonemasons, things like this, all right? And so you have to add a little bit more to the holiday because it's just strictly agricultural, whereas Sukkot is a little more to it. You have a sukkah and whatnot, all right? And so the celebration and remembrance of the giving of the law comes to be a part of this holiday. Now, when we think about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, uh, we remember that, unfortunately, uh, we broke the covenant. Anybody remember when we broke the covenant? Right. I know that in the Christian community, often the theology is is that the Jewish people weren't faithful to the covenant and God said, enough with you, you're set aside. The problem is, is that's not even really fair. The Jewish people broke it so many times, it's hard to tell exactly when, all right? And so if you look at it, just a couple of things, and this is on your sheet, Exodus 19, 3 through 8, that's where the covenant's established, Okay. In essence, that's where the covenant is established. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. The covenant is broken in Exodus 32. That's that golden calf thing, okay? Uh, Exodus 32. The covenant is renewed in Exodus 34. But it's also, again, broken when? In Leviticus. Broken when? Numbers. (laughs) Broken again? Deuteronomy. What's interesting is that in, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a clear renewal of the covenant again. Now, this is part of a bigger theological thing, so, and I know there's discussion you know, throughout the Messianic Jewish community in regards to the Torah, so I'm not trying to get into that here. What I'm trying to point out is that the covenant has constantly been a problem for us. In other words, keeping God's instruction has always been something we failed at. God, though, is faithful. And and he has renewed it again and again, despite ourselves. This leads up to, though, the idea of a new covenant renewed 
or this new, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. In fact, I was reading something from the land of Israel, Erev Shavuot, among the very religious, they spend a little bit of time focused on the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 because there's a recognition of a need for renewal. The problem today within the, the religious Jewish community is people know that they're not keeping the covenant. They know that there's an inadequacy, not just related to the land and the temple, but a, a knowledge and an understanding of sin without atonement. And so within the religious community, there are people that understand Jeremiah 31 is critically important because it speaks of a time when God is going to renew again in a way like he did before, <laughs> where there's a sense of renewal. There's no sense of renewal today. We don't have an Ezra or Nehemiah, all right? We don't have that like they did at that time in the post-exilic period. Instead, there's this understanding of something that will occur. Let's read Jeremiah 31, 31, just so we can, uh, can read through it, be reminded of it. Jeremiah 31, 31, page 484. Page 484 in the, uh, in the uh, Congregational Tanakh. And I want to point out here briefly that this, uh, this exact same language is used in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 36, chapter 36, verses 22 through 38. It's their parallel passages, really. And I should say they're written at a parallel time. Okay, Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, days are coming. It is a declaration of Adonai. Now I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Is it a declaration of Adonai? I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, No, God, Adonai, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It is a declaration of Adonai. For I will forgive their iniquity. Their sin I will remember no more. Thus says Adonai who gives his son as a light by day. And the fixed order of the moon and the stars is a light by night, who stirs up the sea so its waves roar. Adonai Tzavahot is his name. Only if this fixed order departs from before me, it is a declaration of Adonai, then also might Israel's offspring cease from being a nation before me for all time. Thus says Adonai, only if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then also I will cast off the offspring of Israel for, they all, for all that they have done. It is a declaration of Adonai. Be encouraged. God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on anybody. That's why I believe that once you come into a relationship with God through faith in Yeshua, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. God doesn't give up on people. He will punish and discipline those that are his. So if you're getting spanked lately, I encourage you to repent and humble yourself before God because you're his. And he takes it all very seriously. But for us as Jewish people, this amazing commitment of God toward us is something that endures. The question is, are we as committed to this identity and this role and responsibility to be as people as he is committed to us? Now finally, uh, the last thing I want to mention, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, Malachi or a Malachi, the Italian prophet. I had to say it, I'm sorry. Uh, Malachi is the last 
of the post-exilic prophets. Uh, he is prophesying uh, somewhere right around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, although they don't really mention him, uh, the, the, the evidence of the book is that that's the time he's writing. And what he really is doing is trying to provide encouragement. All the post-exilic prophets are really trying to say, God's not done with you yet. Israel, God's not done with us, okay? And so here we have Malachi chapter 3, verse 19. This is page 619. It says, For behold, the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace, but all the proud and every evildoer will become stubble. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says Adonites of Oat, leaving them neither root nor branch. But if for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing at its wings. Then you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will trample on the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I am making, says Adonites of Oat. So here we have end of the times. I've got a text message from my cousin Steve, not a believer. He loves this eschatology stuff, though. For a secular dude, he loves eschatology. So Trump, of course, is talking about a peace plan in the Middle East. My cousin knows enough to know that that's a sign for something. <laughs> I wish he'd believe in Jesus, really. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. People know that there's something odd going on in our world, and it's not just because of our politics. But what is it that really is the point? Take a look at the text. Remember the Torah, Moses, my servant, whom I commanded at Horeb, statutes and ordinances for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. He will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Else I will come and strike the land with utter destruction. What's always important for us to remember is that revival within the Jewish community always involves a return to the covenant commitment, a return to God's instructions for us as Jewish, as Jewish people. Just like revival is always repentance of sin, right? If, if America truly wants to repent, we have a lot of sin. We're breaking all kinds of rules, you know? There are some rules that, that affect, you know, uh, children because they're disrespecting their parents. Some rules of, uh, affect married people because they're not loving and, re and respecting their spouses the way they're supposed to. You know, as Jewish people, God has given us instruction that he expects us to live out so we can be his identifiable testimony. Maybe for you, you finally have to give up shrimp. <laughs> I was talking with somebody the other day who was eating shrimp who shouldn't have been eating shrimp. For my book, okay? But think about it. You know, revival in the scriptures for the Jewish people always is a return to God's instructions at Sinai in the Torah, just as we see in Acts chapter 21. Shavuot is an important holiday for helping us to understand the role, purpose, and responsibility that we have toward the Torah, the value of it, and how God wants us to live our lives as his chosen people. Now, the last thing I want to point out is simply, turn with me to Acts chapter one. We're going to be Acts chapters one and two. I think, David, are you, where is he? David, are you still doing Acts tonight? Is that one of the passages? I'm going to start in Acts two and end in Ephesians two. Oh, okay, good. So come back tonight, sit in on his study, and because uh, I know he wanted to talk about this. So I'm only going to touch on it briefly. Come tonight for the whole story. All right. Shavuot has an importance for all believers in Messiah Yeshua in regards to the giving of the Spirit. Take a look at Acts 1.1. 1, 1. I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach up to the day he was taken up, 
after he had given orders by the Ruach HaKodesh to the emissaries he had chosen. To them he showed himself to be alive after his suffering through many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me. From John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh not many days from now. Right after this, Yeshua ascends. Now on your sheet, take a look at this. Yeshua's death, resurrection, and ascension. When did Yeshua die? What? Say it louder, okay? Nisan 15. You ever thought about that? Yeshua died on the 15th of Nisan. Well, how do you know that? Because there was a Passover Seder the night before, which is the Erev. Era of Passover, the 15th of Nisan, he was killed on the 15th of Nisan. He was dead and buried before the 16th of Nisan. Well, that means Yeshua rose from the dead on what day? 17th of Nisan, the Sunday, the 17th. Interesting little note. I got to write about this stuff. I like to write more. Rachel says I should stay around more and I travel so much. But on the 17th of Nisan, that year... You had an argument. Remember, you, the, when do you offer the first fruits? When do you be count, begin to count? All right? Well, the bottom line is, is that that isn't really the point. The point is, is when do you offer the first fruits? You don't offer it on Shabbat. You don't offer it on the Shabbat. You wait a day. All right? And so, when would you have offered the first fruits that year? Everybody did it on the same day, on Sunday, the 17th of Nisan, whether you're at Zadokim or a Parush. It would have been the 17th of Nisan. They're all offering their first fruits. And as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, the first fruits is Yeshua rose as the first fruits of our redemption. So on the holiday of first fruits, 17th of Nisan, Yeshua the Messiah rose from the dead. All right? You have questions, but we're going too fast. Talk to me later. Now, when did Yeshua the Messiah ascend to heaven? How many? 40 days which would have been the 23rd of I.R. Yeshua the Messiah rose on the 23rd of I.R. Why would I say that? Because on Shavuot was when the Spirit was given. That's how that calendar works. It's kind of cool when you think about it. Everything happens for a reason. Yeshua says, hang on in Jerusalem. They must have known something was coming up. There must have been some understanding. In the first century, there was an understanding of the law in regards to the holiday of Shavuot. Maybe they understood that, that something that they didn't quite understand was going to happen on that day, on the holiday of Shavuot. Then, of course, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Shavuot had come. They were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. This must have been an amazing scene. Better than any tent TV evangelist could pull off. Okay? Because it was real. Spirit of God coming to be within the believers. Something new. This is something new. And I don't know if this is what you're going to touch on. This is something totally new. It's, it, it, the Spirit had come 
into believers and been on them. Okay, that's in the Hebrew Scriptures. We read about that. But here is something new with the Spirit, the Spirit of God coming to live within believers. It's amazing. We've talked about it. We're going to start next week again, finish up the book of Galatians and finish up what it means to walk in the Spirit. You have to understand the value of the Spirit as a follower of Messiah Yeshua to really appreciate what it means to walk in the Spirit. The holiday of Shavuot is the holiday where God chose to indwell believers. He made that the marking point for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we might truly be a part of this amazing body of Messiah, this community of faith, which David's going to talk about tonight, and have the power to live lives God's way. If you don't feel like you got the Spirit in you, talk with me. All right, We don't have to lay hands on you in a Pentecostal manner, but we could try. But the point is, is to understand the value of feeling the Spirit, understanding who He is, what His role is, and why it's so darn important for you if you really want to live your life God's way. Well, and that's all related to Joel chapter 2, which he quotes in Acts chapter 2, which you can read. And I want to wrap it up by just simply saying this. As Mount Sinai, God gave the Torah, the Mosaic coming to Israel for the purpose of making them a unique people and to instruct them in how to live as His unique chosen people. It's the point of the Torah. It's the point of the Torah. How are we supposed to live as Jews? <laughs> as I said when I was in uh, Munich, I spoke in Munich, I said it's not matzo ball soup and borscht because matzo ball soup is just a Middle East, or it's a Eastern European kind of dish and borscht is Russian. Every Russian will tell you. It's not Jewish. <laughs> the covenant at Sinai and the things that God asked us to do and things he said not to do, that's all related to Jewish identity. And then the traditions, okay, fine, yes, Learning how to eat lox and bagels properly, that's Jewish life. Whitefish and all that fun stuff, all right? Yeah, the, the, the traditions of our people help us to understand what it means to be a part of a people. That's true. But what really matters is understanding what it means to live as God's unique chosen people. Through Messiah Yeshua, God brought a new covenant for Israel that would ultimately provide for all people the opportunity for permanent atonement from sin and the knowledge of how to please God with their lives. This is what it's all about. Rejoice in God's role for your life as a Jew. Be loyal to the Torah. Rejoice in God's gift for your atonement in the, in the new covenant. Be loyal to Messiah Yeshua. All right. You know, do you desire to get close to the Lord? That's really important, guys. If you don't really want to get close to God, that means that something is drawing you away. That's sin. Desire to grow close to the Lord. He wants to grow close to you. That's the whole point of his spirit. The whole point of what it's the scripture we've discussed about this morning. God, we thank you for our atonement from sin through our death of our Messiah Yeshua. God, I pray that we would, would live lives of radical faith in observance of your instruction, that we would appreciate the role of the Spirit, your Spirit within our lives, that we might indeed be a light and testimony reflecting our Messiah's light to all those around us. Help us, God, to desire to come close to you, closer and closer each day. We pray this in Yeshua's name.